Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 10, it says, For it is fitting, for it was fitting, that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to the lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all all things, uh, supreme over everything biblical types and tents and tabernacles and prophets and priests and kings the new covenant over the old covenant you above angels and your creation you are God all things have been subjected to your feet and now you see it at the right hand of God. Waiting for that word from your father to go receive your children, your bride, in which the trumpet shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those who remain will meet together in the air to live with Jesus Christ for an eternity. And so, Lord, we... We praise you and we ask you, Lord, to help us to comprehend your greatness, your supremacy, your authority. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You stand above all things, including your creation and your created order and all that you have provided for us. And so as we continue in your word, we ask, Father, that you would bless us Open our minds to your truths and your realities. Encourage our heart, bless our souls, and help us to live with the hope that we have in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to start in verse 12, I believe, is where we left off last time. We talked about Jesus being the pioneer of our salvation Uh, He was the first one to conquer death, to conquer Satan, to conquer salvation. He has given us that victory for ourselves, and we're going to follow. As we follow in his past, as we are united with him in baptism, we can live with the hope and assurance 
that when we die, it's only for a short time, and then we will raise to be with him in the air as well. When you get to verse 12, it says, I'll start in verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Okay, we're speaking of Jesus here. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. So he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We are his siblings. We are part of his family. He is in no way ashamed of us. Okay, it says that he's not ashamed to call us brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. That is interesting. Jesus is saying, he's not ashamed to call us in brothers and sisters and brothers and sisters, and he will shout our praises in the midst of the assembly of believers, in the gathering of, of believers. And so we ended last week, I believe, if you remember, I asked the question, in heaven, who praises who? Not who worships who, because worship is only for God, and we will worship God, and he will in no means worship us, but when we think about praises, we are going to praise God, and God is going to praise us. What are you waiting for? What words do you want to hear? Well done, well done my good and faithful service. That's a praise. Now, I work in the, in the nursing homes for an extended period of time, and, and uh, working in the Alzheimer's units and mind care units and things like that. Um, a lot of times, well, every time that I went, I could never tell if they were paying attention. I never could tell if they got anything out of it. Most of them sat there and looked at me as I sung and as I preached with a blank stare. Uh, I shouldn't get worried about that because Sunday morning sometimes when I'm singing and I'm preaching, I'm looking out and, they, and there's a blank stare. But... <laughs> But uh, I remember this one time, it's kind of the thing that kind of sh shook me out of my self-evaluation of the situation, is I went into this, uh, this, this mind care unit, and they gathered them up for me and lined them up around the room. Most of them had to be let in and sat down, and I gave them a book, and sometimes I wonder why I was even given a book, because I also had to turn the pages. If you're familiar with the ministry that I was doing and the books and the CDs that I have, the CDs, the, the music is played a little bit slower and it has a long introduction. One reason why it's slower because with dementia they're slower and so you want to give them time to think about it and phrase the words so they can sing along with you. Uh, but also there's a long introduction. They play all the way through the song with no words to give me time to go up and turn everybody's page and get them on the right page. And uh, so I'm, I'm doing this sit down next to this one lady. The lady sits down here next to me. Now, doesn't say a word. I put the book in her lap. I'm handing stuff. Other people are talking to me because there's different, excuse me, levels of dementia. And so some of them are still talking and cognitive and capable of listening and hearing. This one lady sitting right next to me, never said a word, never had an expression, never turned a page, never sung, never did anything, just sat there. I'd finish the song. The next song would begin to play. I'm going around turning everybody's page. I turn her page. I flip it over so that she can see the next song and everything. And uh, just really getting into a little selfish 
pitiful party and saying, what am I doing this for? Now, what is the purpose? Is there anything going on here in their minds? And after I was done singing and after I was done teaching, I went around to pick up all the books. And I went over and I grabbed her book and picked it up. And she said, I think that message was for me. And, and I looked at her and I said, really? And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you know, with dementia, we have a hard time remembering things. And uh, I just need to remember that, you know, God is, hasn't given up on me and loves me and is going to take care of me and, and see me into, into heaven. And, uh, and so that kind of shook me out of my selfishness and started to realize that you really can't judge from outward appearance what anybody's thinking or doing, which is encouraging because if your loved one has dementia, they could understand every word that you're saying. They just might not be able to verbalize back to you what you're saying, though they're cognitively hearing everything that you're saying. So that's an encouragement if your family gets dementia. Go talk to them. Go share Jesus with them. Read the Bible to them. Sing with them. Because they might hear every single word that you're saying. Amy worked over at uh, a nursing home over in front of St. Joseph. And uh, one of her patients were nick nicknamed First Time. That was her nickname. Everybody knew her by First Time. And the reason why is because that's the only two words that I've ever heard come out of that, lady, that lady's mouth. She understood exactly what you said. Because I'll come down there and I'll say, I forget her name, but I'd call her by name and I said, you want to go down? We're getting ready to have the church service. And she'd get all hot, happy and she'll say, first time, first time, first time. And I'd get her and I'd take her down and we'd sing it out and I'd take her back. And, uh, and if you did something to cross her or you try to do something that she didn't want to do, she'd look at you pretty mad and she'd say, first time, <laughs> telling you to go. That's the, only thing that she, that's the only thing that she would say. But she understood what you were asking her and understand what you were telling her. Just whatever was messed up in the brain from the strokes or whatever's going on, it just broke the ability to be able to communicate and talk, though they can perfectly understand. Anyway, I kind of chased a rabbit there, but, uh, <clears throat> but I say that um, to say that one of the things I think that's going to be so exciting about heaven and this idea of God praising you <clears throat> is we don't really see the influence that we're having when we're working for God. And we might be just walking through a mall and somebody is having a bad day and you take the time to say something to them and you don't think you did anything except said hi to the person and shared the gospel with them or tell them that Jesus loved them or whatever. But I can imagine that on that day when God is testing all my works and trying them by fire to see if it was you know, silver and gold or whether it's hay and stubble, that, um, that Jesus and me and some of those people in those nursing homes are all going to be around and Jesus is going to say, Tom, thank you for being faithful. I said, because through your faithfulness, this woman right here had dementia. And while we were there singing those hymns and she got stirred and woke up a little and she's a little bit alert. And then you preach that sermon. At that particular moment, she realized that she was a sinner accepted Christ. And we begin to see and realize how much God really did through us. Right? I think that's part of the, the praise and excitement that we're going to, that we're going to share in, in heaven. Now, <clears throat> I say that to say that the praise that we receive from God 
is going to be God's work in us. It's going to be God's work in us. It's going to be God doing in us the things that he likes and he's going to produce it in you and then he's going to praise you for that. Let me, let me show you. Philippians chapter 2.13 God is always providentially working in us in such a way that our good works are praiseworthy. Everything that God works in us is praiseworthy. Everything that he does in us is praiseworthy. Anybody there already? Philippians 2, verse 13. It says that, uh, for it is God who works in you both in will, to will and to work for his good pleasure, right? Whatever he works in you to will and to work, it is for his good pleasure. He is producing his pleasure in you. So when he, when he, when he praises you, he's praising you because he's pleased with, pleased with you because he worked his good pleasures in you. Okay, so what I'm trying to get you to see is who wrote, the, who wrote Philippians. Was it Paul or was it the Holy Spirit? Ah, there you go. It was Paul, and it was the Holy Spirit. When God praises us, is he going to praise you, or is he going to praise his work in you? Both. Both. There's, there's something very interesting and fascinating about the fact that we are in Christ Jesus. So that we are joint heirs with Jesus, that we receive everything that God does for his son he's going to do for us we're the benefactors of god's love for his son because we are in him when uh saul whose name was turned to paul was on the damascus road remember paul, uh, saul didn't even know who he was like who are you what did jesus say i am the one you are persecuting well was 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 saul persecuting jesus no, he was persecuting Christians. But when you persecute Christians, Jesus takes it personally. Why? Because Christ is in you. So if, you, so if the, the world comes and persecutes the church, Jesus Christ takes it personally. It's as if though you were persecuting me. Why? Because Christ is the head and we're his body. And so there's this literal, this literal sense that God is so connected to us in Christ Jesus, that we received all of the benefits. I experienced this when I went to, to India, because when I went to India, one of the things that they do in that culture is that when, they do, when you do something for them, they just make a big deal out of it. And so when I made this long airplane trip all the way over to India and I got there, you know, they had the roads lined up and it was like this big parade wake, wake, uh, welcoming the American preacher to, to India and they're throwing things in the air and celebrating, singing songs and everything. And then when they come up to you, it's like Hawaii. They just put all these lace flowers over top of your neck. And it's like right up to here with nothing but flowers and everything. And they're just thanking you and praising you. And then when you leave, guess what? They gather together. They, they thank you for all of your preaching. They thank you for making the journey. Each one testifies about how the, the, the messages ministered to you that particular weekend. 
Then they throw flowers over your head again. And then they're singing and clapping and praising as you get into the car and you drive off. And so from an American perspective, not understanding the culture, I was like, are they worshiping me when I come over there? I said, they shouldn't be worshiping me. They should be worshiping Christ. And that's the way that I felt. Well, then some churches here in America had some bad experiences. Overseas, I had different things happen in my travels uh, where I was was persecuted. I was reviled. Uh, Things were said uh, wrong about me, negatively about me, evil towards me. And so then I'd get real down and all woe is me, you know, feeling bad for myself. And then how I got out of that, I realized I was reading the Bible and it says, you're just a student of the teacher. They persecute the teacher. They're going to persecute the students. Right? So because I'm preaching Christ, I'm going to have the persecution of Christ. I'm going to share in his sufferings. And so now when I get persecuted, I'm just like, thanks, Jesus. What an opportunity to participate in your suffering. On the other side of the equation, when somebody's throwing flowers over your head and clapping for you and praising you, have a tendency to get puffed up. Ah, they're talking about me and my preaching and I'm so wonderful and they're worshiping me and all that kind of stuff. You know what I learned? Just as much as the persecution was for the back of Christ, the praise was also for the ears of Christ. So when I went back the last time, the next time, after I started to understand these things, they would do that and they would praise and thank me and then they'd give me an opportunity to respond and I, would, I told him, I said, look, I have to confess because I thought y'all were worshiping me. And I said, but now I understand that it is the praise that are you given for me is for Christ. And so I just want you to know that I embrace your praise of me in the name of Christ. Because I know it was only Christ in me that makes me worthy of any of your kindness towards me. Right? So it's, it's, it's that connectedness that we have to see. I don't want you to think, I can't wait to get to heaven because then he's going to be making me like God and I'm going to be worshipped and praised. No, it's going to be this, this, this glorious thing where you're praised, but it's going to be this glorious thing where you're glad you're praised because it was because of Christ and it was for Christ. All right? That's the, that's the connection that we, that we want to say. Our good works are never apart from God providentially working in us. Our faith and obedience is done in the power of God and is praiseworthy. It's praiseworthy because we're doing it in God and we're doing it for God and we might get praised for it, but it is because of God that we're getting praised. And that's a good thing because his works is praiseworthy. His work in us is praiseworthy. Right? What he does in and through us is praiseworthy. And he's going to praise us for it, but again, it's going to be because of him. Um, Jesus will praise us because of the source of sanctification. Remember, the sanctifier and the sanctified is from one source. Uh, Jesus uh, uh, sanctified himself, consecrated himself. Go to uh, John chapter 17. Consecrated himself to God's plan to accomplish in us his plan. John 17 and verse 19. 
It says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Right? So Jesus consecrated himself to God's plan to accomplish his plan in us. See how it's connected? Jesus Christ was set set aside, consecrated, sanctified for God's purpose to accomplish God's purpose through us and in us. And that's praiseworthy. God provided his word for our sanctification. Look at John 17, 17. The Bible says, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. God provided his word for our sanctification. Right? When his word works sanctification in us, guess what? His word is praiseworthy. And the work that the word does in us in sanctifying us is praiseworthy. And we will be praised, but guess what? We're going to praise God for praising us to the praise of his son and to the praise of his word. So I hope you're getting the the, the gist of this. It's going to be this incredible love relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we who are caught up into that inner Trinitarian love relationship by the Holy Spirit. It's going to be somewhat of a love fest. I love you. I love you too. You did such a good job. Well, thank you for doing it through me. It's just going to be this this exciting love fest. It's like newly married couples who are giddy and intimate with each other and love one another and excited about it until a couple of years later. But then, but while it's there in the honeymoon, it's so great. And, and the good thing about heaven is that it's, 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 going to be like a, it's going to be like the honeymoon all the time. Never-ending honeymoon. We're just going to love and love and love and be intimate and intimate and intimate with God and with each other. It's exciting stuff. If God began a work in you, he will carry it through to completion. That's in Philippians 1.6. Right? He is working you, working in you. He is carrying it through to completion. And all of it is praiseworthy from beginning to end. That's why we meet on Saturday morning. Right? Because we're great. Sunday morning, yeah, we're, I, I was thinking the Jewish synagogue there. Uh, the, uh, it's, 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 all, it's all praiseworthy. Uh, let's see where we want to go now. Um, let's go over to 1 Thessalonians. It's God, God calling us in. He wants to get started with this. All right, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5 and verse 23. 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so God gives us uh, a perfect sanctity. He's working a perfect sanctification. And again, it's praiseworthy. Go over to Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 10, it says, For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he 
discipline us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Right? So he, he gives us his holiness. We share in his holiness. And when he gives us his holiness, his holiness, his holiness is praiseworthy. Right? So it, it shouldn't be, a, it shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't be confusing now why we're going to be praised. Because God is good to his children. And he has given everything to us that is praiseworthy. He's going to praise us for it. It all comes in. We're joint heirs of Jesus Christ. Everything that he does for the Son, he's going to do for us. He treats us literally. He's going to treat us literally like his son, like his daughter. Literally, like his son and daughter. Right? He literally treated his son like a sinner. So that he can literally treat us like a son or daughter. Right, this, is, this is not some mystical thing where you know, we're talking about Jesus dying for sin. Or whatever. No, this, is a, this was a literal death. This was a, 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 a literal substitution. Paying our penalty. God literally poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ on the cross. And just like he poured his wrath out of Jesus Christ on the cross and killed him and put him in the grave, he literally is going to love us like his son, Jesus Christ. Literally. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation means, what's the opposite of that? There's going to be loads of praise for God's children and for God's people because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Jesus will praise us because God promised our, our glorification. Romans 8.30, of course, is those he has foreknew, he called. Those he called, he will justify. And those he justified, he will glorify. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21. Let's go there. 13. Hebrews 13, 21. Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 21. He says, let me go back to verse 20. Now, may the God of peace who brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So he is working in you what is pleasing in his sight. What is he going to do? Because he's pleased when he sees you. He's going to praise you. He's going to praise you. Paul acknowledges that it was not him, but it was Christ in him, God's grace in him. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Jesus is glorified, but we are glorified in him. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that we will be raised in glory to our resurrection. We will progress in glory. We looked at that. That's John 1, 14. The flesh became... Uh, the, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, now with unveiled face, we are being transformed, uh, glory to glory, or precept by precept. And then 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, when we see his glory, we will be like him in his glory, because we will see him exactly as he is. All right, so the, 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 the transforming thing in all of this is the glory of Christ. When you see the glory of Christ, it changes you. It has effect on you. 
The glory of Christ is, is all the beauties of his perfections. As you see how beautiful he is, and he begins to transform you into that, be, be, that beauty that pleases God. And it brings praise upon Christ, and it brings praise upon you. In Ephesians, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, The earth will be filled with his glory the way that the waters covers the sea. How does the waters cover the sea? The water is the sea, and the sea is the water. Right? So it's nothing but water in the sea. Well, there's a day coming when the earth is going to be filled with nothing but his glory. And you're going to be a part of that because you're going to be glorified in your new body. And it's going to be pleasing in the sight of God. It's going to be glorious. Right? We sing the song about glorify. We will glorify the God. Right? And we're going to be glorified. Right? You see the, see the double thing there? Jesus Christ is glorified. We're going to be glorified, which shows that we're going to both be praised, which is interesting because God says, I give my glory to nobody except the Son and those he saves. Ephesians uh, 5, verse 27, it says, the bride, that's you and me, the bride is glorious. Glorious. Everything that Jesus Christ works into the bride is glorious and pleasing to the Father. And since it's pleasing to the Father, he is pleased with you and I. He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, with a million other praises coming in behind it. Because of his perfections that he has wrought in you. And you can, uh, you can see, um, let's see, where do we want to go? Let's go to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter four, and I'm going to read verse five to you. First Corinthians four, verse five. It says, "Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord." Or his commendation from God. What's the, what's the root there? Commend. You're going to be commended by God. He's going to, he's going to praise you. He's going, to, he's going to reward you. Which is very exciting stuff. And, uh, and so again, I liked uh, Mrs. Humphreys there last week says... That was so good. I can't wait to get to heaven. I guess we're really waiting to get to heaven now, aren't we? <laughs> that's a good thing. That's, I think that's where God wants us. Paul lived that way. Man, if I leave, I'm going to go to be with the Lord. If I stay, I'm going to serve the Lord. So I win either way. So whatever you want to do, do. And then how he lived? Right there. And that's where he wants us. All right, he is the death destroyer. The death destroyer. I'm going to run through these really quick because I was going to get... Chapter 2 finished before we left today. Um, if you want a copy of this, you can look it up later, you can, but I'm going to just run through it real quick. He's the, he's the death destroyer. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus predicted his own death. In John 2, 18 to 22, and Matthew 27, 40, Jesus based his claims in his prediction of his death. 
In Luke 24, 6, Jesus kept his promise in dying. After he predicted it, he kept his promise and he died. Uh, Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, it says that Jesus will abolish death. Right, there will be no more death in heaven. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.10, Jesus' death is the gospel. Jesus had to die for our sin. It is the gospel. So he was fulfilling God's purposes. Genesis 2.17 said, you ate of the tree, uh, you would die. So Jesus died for those who would die. Right? You might say, well, how did he, why do we have to die if Jesus died for us? Well, there's two deaths if you read the book of Revelation. It's the first death we're all going to experience. Revelation talks about the second death. The second death is the one that the believers will avoid. That's the one the unbelievers don't want to face, which is the reason why the, the gospel needs to be preached. First Peter chapter 2.22, Jesus had to, uh, excuse me, had no sin himself. John 10.17, Jesus had no sin himself, therefore he died willingly and passively. Jesus was obeying God and dying. In other words, he, he, when, the, when they mocked him and said, hey, you saved others, why don't you save yourself, come off the cross? He could have, but he was obeying his father, and so he stayed. So he was passively obeying. He didn't sin. He was sinless, even, even, even unto death. Revelations 1.18, Jesus died but now lives, right? Once you paid the penalty of death, once, once sin, Satan, and death is destroyed, there's no longer any need for Jesus to remain dead. And so he, he rose and sits at, the right hand, sits at the right hand of God. Acts chapter 2.24, Jesus' uh, Jesus's permanent death was impossible. He couldn't have remained dead in the grave forever. Through his death, Revelation 1.18, Jesus has the keys, meaning that he has authority. He opens and closes the doors to, to death and to Hades or to hell. John 12.31, Colossians 2.17, Jesus broke the power of sin, Satan, and death. Revelations 12, 9 through 11, Revelations 20, 10, and 14, Jesus' death removes Satan's accusations. Jesus no longer accuses us, no longer can accuse us. He is the accuser of the brethren, but there's no condemnation in Christ, and so if he accuses us, we just laugh at him. Because Jesus Christ took away all of his accusations. He has nowhere to stand on. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 Jesus removed the sting of death. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Jesus rose and you are saved by his death. 1 John 3, 14, Jesus makes us fellow conquerors. Psalm 16, 10, Jesus' victory was prophesied. In John 14, 19, Jesus, Jesus promised victory. In Romans 8, 37, Jesus gave us the victory. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Jesus' resurrection was the first of many believers. Again, he's a pioneer of salvation. His resurrection was the first of many of people who will follow. And that's you and, that's you and I who believe in Christ. Hosea 13, 14, 1 Corinthians 15, 54, and 55, Jesus delivered us from death. Romans 8, 37, Jesus made us more than conquerors, completely victors. John, John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus conquered and we stand in his victory. We stand firm in his, in his victory. In Revelations 2, 11 and 25, Jesus saves us from the second death. And so Revelation 2, 11 and Revelations 25 uh, speaks of the second, second death.
And I think we're going to make it. I'll slow down now on this last one. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same way, that through death he might destroy the one who has power over the death, that is the devil. Okay, the, 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 the children who needed to receive victory, Jesus became flesh and blood so that he can obtain that victory. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Some people say, well, God could have done it any way that he wanted If he wanted to save us, he could have wrote the gospel in the clouds. No, he can't. He had, he had to become like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for our sins of the people. He had to. He was willing to. Because it was man, remember last last time, Man was given the authority to rule the world. Satan took that rule from man. Jesus came back and conquered Satan to regain that rule because God wanted and planned from the very beginning to give creation to mankind. And so to keep that in place, it had to be a man who conquered so that God would give him the authority, Jesus Christ, man, and then he would be able to share it with the rest of mankind as, as, as joint heirs with Jesus. So he had to become blessed. Jesus had to redeem humanity. Since he was redeeming humanity, he took on flesh and blood. Right? He says that he came to help. One of the reasons why he's greater than angels, it says, it says here in Hebrews that he, he came to not to help angels, not to save angels, but to save the children of Abraham. Right? So he didn't become an angel to redeem angels. He became man to redeem man. So he took on flesh and blood. He was made a little lower than the angels. Right? We looked at that uh, last week. Same with us. Uh, the, double, the double meaning of the, of the text. We are lower than angels, and one day we will be equal to angels, but not just equal to angels because we'll be children of God and everything will be subjected to us. We will have rule and the whole world will now listen to us. Our gardens will listen to us. Animals will listen to us. The whole world will, will, will work for us. Uh, he, was in pre, he was precarnate. This is important uh, because some have mistakenly uh, mistakenly uh, tried uh, to, I don't know if the right word is, to save the idea that Jesus Christ is equal with God because if he was the son of God, he came in subjection, he is in subjection to the father and some, so some would say that when he became the son, that's when he was subjected to God 
But when he died and rose again, he was no longer subjected to God. It's the incarnate sonship of God, I think is the false teaching. Uh, but Jesus Christ was always the Son of God. He was always in subjected to the Father. In eternity past, he always was. And he always will be in, in, in eternity future. So he, was, he is pre-incarnate and, uh, and, then he's, and he's human. He's 100% human. Uh, Jesus had to defeat sin, Satan, and death. Right? He had to pay the penalty. Okay? The, the theological term is penal substitutionary debt. Penal is penalty, substitutionary, and he paid the debt. Penal substitution. Uh, that is that just like when you are uh, at school and your teacher gets sick, they call in a substitute. The substitute comes in and takes the place of the teacher and teaches for the day. Well, Jesus Christ is our, is our substitute. When you see the cross, you should see yourself. You should be the one on the cross. You should be the one paying your own penalty. But Jesus then was your substitute. He, he hung there on the cross in your place, paying your debt so that you don't have to pay the debt. So the, 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 the interesting about, the thing about that, <clears throat> if you don't accept Jesus Christ's penal substitution, then there is no substitution and you have to face God with your sin on your own. And the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross and like a sponge, he absorbed it into his own body so that you wouldn't have to absorb it in your body. One of the things about hell is that what you are experiencing at that particular time is you are absorbing the wrath of God in your own body. Psalm 139 says, Lord, where can we go and you're not there? We can go up to the heavens and you are there. We can go down to Sheol and you're there. We can go down to the depths and you're there because God is everywhere. There's no place that God is not. So is God in hell? Yes, he is. Pouring his wrath out on mankind who rejected Jesus Christ. It's not some place where he leaves you alone and lets Satan torment you for the rest of the day. No, it's God pouring his wrath out on mankind because they rejected Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so there's this idea of substitution, this idea of propitiation, and uh, I'm going I'm to close with this, I think. Uh, the, 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 the substitute, think back to the Old Testament. Uh, you have the Passover, and at the Passover, you have the high priest, and the responsibility of the high priest was to uh, uh, receive the unblemished lamb that you brought to the Passover for the sacrifice of your sins, your family's sins, in that particular year that has gone by. And it was his job to, to uh, sacrifice the lamb and then take it, to the, uh, take it into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and the mercy seat was there. So let me explain the whole process. Well, what happened is uh, you, would, you, would come to the, you would come to the priest, the priest that was doing the, the sacrifice, and uh, he would take your lamb, and then you would put your hands on the, on the top of the lamb, and you would confess your sin, signifying that you were confessing your sins, and the sin was now going on to the head of the lamb. And then they would take a knife, and they would slit the throat, and they would let the blood run out, and he would gather it in a, in a bowl, and, uh, and then he, the, uh, the blood was passed on to the high priest. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, 
And the Holy of Holies was the mercy seat. If you remember what the mercy seat is, the mercy seat is the cabinet with the long poles on it that housed the Ten Commandments. And there were rules about how you were to carry it and who can touch it and all that. But the Ten Commandments there, when it was in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, you had the, you had the mercy seat with the Ten Commandments on the inside. You had the seraphim and the cherubim, the angels that kind of oversaw the, the, uh, the, the, the mercy seat. And right in the middle was the Shekinah glory, the presence of God. <clears throat> and when they brought in the, uh, the, the mercy seat, or when they went into the, to the tabernacle, uh, they, they would literally tie a rope on the high priest as he went in because if he didn't come out in a certain amount of time because he was going in there in the presence of God uh, as, a, as a sinner high priest, not like Jesus Christ, the great high priest. And so if he went in there inappropriately, then God would have killed him there on the spot. And so if they didn't come out for a long time, they would drag him out and be a dead high priest when they, when they pulled him out. But anyway, he went in there and, uh, and what they did on the mercy seat is they would take the blood from the blood sacrifice, which is the propitiation, that's the theological word, and they would dump it on the mercy seat. Okay, so, so when you have the Shekinah glory looking down at the mercy seat and the Ten Commandments, they were looking down at the Ten Commandments and looking out at the people of Israel. And, and what he saw was lawbreakers and his wrath was enraged because they were breaking the law. The blood sacrifice on the mercy seat, the propitiation, when God looked down, he sees the blood of Christ. Okay, in Isaiah chapter 53, I believe it is, it said it pleased God to crush his son, which was troubling there for a while because I'm thinking in a man's mindset and in a human mindset, I said, who in the world, what father would, would allow his son to be crushed and say, that pleased me? Well, what was he pleasing? Well, he was, he was pleasing the wrath of God. It was the work of God. It pleased God that his son would passively obey in dying and spilling his blood. And then that blood satisfies God that now when he looks through to the Ten Commandments, he's looking through the blood sacrifice. Back then it was lambs. Now it is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. It's the blood of Christ. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the blood that satisfies God. He is God's son's blood is the reason that God can look at the law, have his wrath enraged because of lawbreakers, but being satisfied with the blood of Christ can now look at you and be pleased with you and begin to work his perfections in you in such a way that it is praiseworthy that when we stand before God one day and we get all of our works tested again it's going to be a love fest it's going to be a praise fest it's going to be the most blessed and the most glorious and the most wonderful time that you have ever experienced in your whole entire life there is nothing on earth that will ever compare to that particular moment when we're standing before God. Dang it, my father beat me. He's there and I'm not. But don't we all look with anticipation for that particular day? All of this, all of this is because of God's good plan and because of God's good son willing to die for a sinner so that you can receive the love 
that he's had all throughout eternity, but he wanted to purchase that for you so that you and I can experience his love for the rest of eternity. There ain't no other religion under heaven that has this kind of a message. And I don't know what fool would want to rub a belly of a Buddha than to listen to what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. What an amazing story. What an amazing book. It absolutely blows my mind the more I read it and the more that I prepare for sermons. There's so much here and so much in it. I mean, it's just glorious and wonderful. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, what a what a wonderful what a wonderful truth. And Lord, even as I preach it, I just I, it doesn't even it doesn't even stir up any pride in me. It stirs up worship of you that you have that you have done this for us. That you have provided it freely for us at the expense of your son. It's it's unimaginable. It's 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 unbelievable. To say that God is good is an is a understatement. You are, you are supremely good. You are infinitely good. You are incredibly good. You are, you are good beyond my imagination. I can't even comprehend the goodness that you have purchased for us and, and has in store for us the moment that we breathe our last breath. Father, thank you so much for your word, that you did not hide it from us, that you opened our eyes to it and you allowed us to ponder it and look at it, and and it stirs our heart with incredible anticipation, looking, looking to you and looking for you on that particular day, Father. Help us to live in anticipation of that day with incredible joy, incredible excitement, incredible worship and praise. Father, because we don't deserve any of it. It's because of your goodness and your son that we will acquire it. Sinners that don't deserve anything have been given everything. And we praise you for it. And we thank you, Lord. We love you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.